Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Of course, all of you are very well aware that I am a big Georgia football fan. That's why we do the show the way we do. You know, kind of a fan conversation, me facilitating it, you hopefully participating in it. We have a good time doing that. But in addition to being a Georgia football fan, I'm also just sort of a big sports fan in general. A lot of you know that. You know, grew up just liking all sports. Still do. I focus on Georgia for a profession, but from a pastime standpoint, I've always just kind of liked sports and follow all the sports stuff. And last night was kind of a significant moment in sports because of the passing of Bobby Knight. Now, listen, Coach Knight was not everybody's cup of tea and everybody's flavor. I totally get that. And honestly, it's not really my you know point to bring him up as a way of saying one thing or another about you know what he was or what he wasn't. I mean, I think the uh, eulogies on him will kind of reflect all of that here right now. But he was certainly a pivotal figure in sports history. None of us can deny that. And in a lot of the remembrances of Knight, one thing sort of popped up that I was incredibly fascinated by. And I'm going to use this not so much to talk about Knight or even to talk about the person that Knight is talking about, but to actually set us up to talk about Georgia football here. Because I think when you go back and look at the past in sports, you are seeing sort of a blueprint template of how perhaps a lot of media types are potentially making a mistake as it relates to Georgia here right now this year. And, and perhaps to a certain degree, about Georgia over the course of the last few years there as well. So let me start with something that seemingly has nothing to do with Georgia, and eventually we're going to work our way to Georgia on this particular discussion. So Bobby Knight passes away. A lot of folks kind of sharing certain things about Knight, and there's a guy named Aaron Torres who covers college sports and you know does a lot of media stuff, and he shared a clip of Knight that I don't know that I'd ever seen before. It was Knight around the time of like the 84 Olympics. This is prior to Michael Jordan ever playing an NBA game. And it's important to understand this. This is before Jordan ever suited up for the Chicago Bulls, before he won his first MVP, before he won his first uh, NBA title, of which he won six, before he even played his first game. I guess the, what the Jordan ones hadn't even you know come out yet. This is before all of that. This is as Jordan was finishing his career at North Carolina, participating in the uh, 1984 Olympics, and yet Bobby Knight, who obviously understood the sport of basketball as well as anyone could, had already seen enough from Jordan then to say, this is the greatest basketball player of all time. That is a fascinating statement to make, knowing that it came prior to Jordan playing his first NBA game, because the truth is, Almost everyone would agree he was a far better NBA player than perhaps he was a college player. And yet, even as a college player, Knight had already seen everything that he needed to see. This is a fascinating audio clip, especially for those of you who kind of remember the Knight era and certainly the Jordan era of that time. This is what uh, Bobby Knight said about Michael Jordan way back in 1984, I guess this would have been. I think he's the best athlete I've ever seen play basketball, bar none. If I were going to pick people with the best ability I'd ever seen play the game, he'd be one of them. If I were going to pick the best competitors that I'd ever seen play, he'd be one of them. So in the categories of competitiveness, ability, uh, skill, and then uh, athletic ability, uh, he's the best athlete, he's one of the best competitors, he's one of the most skilled players. And, and that, to me, makes him the best basketball player that I've ever seen play. I mean, can you imagine that? 
before Jordan ever played his first NBA game, Bobby Knight says, this is the best basketball player I've ever seen play. Now, Knight had been around the sport. He'd had an undefeated uh, Indiana team in 1976 by that point in time. He'd won NBA titles by that point. I should say uh, he'd won college basketball championship, national championships by that point in time. Uh, but when he saw Jordan around the 84 Olympics, he said, this is the best player I've ever seen play. That's a remarkable statement. Now, what makes it more interesting is some people did not see it that way. Some people did not get that. Uh, even though you had guys like Bobby Knight saying, best player I've ever seen. Jordan only went number three in that year's NBA draft. Uh, went to the Chicago Bulls. There were two players obviously taken ahead of Jordan. Now, can you imagine the error of having a guy that was even viewed by a guy like Knight back then as the greatest player of all time? I would say by now, rightly viewed by almost anybody, at least right-thinking people we would say around here, the true and genuine goat is Michael Jordan. Can you imagine knowing that you were a part of that, a contemporary of Michael Jordan, and yet you didn't recognize the greatness as it was happening? Can you imagine that error? Can you imagine that mistake to say, okay, he was really number one, should have been the best of all time, yet I had him at number three. That's when he got drafted. Uh, what, Sam Bowie and uh, Akeem Olajuwon, I guess, go, go ahead of him. I know Bowie does. I believe Olajuwon was the other two players taken ahead of Michael Jordan, even though Jordan was the greatest of all time. And there are at least a few people, Bobby Knight back then, who sort of recognized that being true, uh, that he was the best, he was the greatest, and yet some people only had him at number three. Now, by now, hopefully you get how this ties in to Georgia football there as well. Because much the same way that Michael Jordan was a historic figure in his sport, the NBA, and basketball in general, we believe that Georgia football and the era that's participating in right now is also a historic team on a historic run there, too. They've already won two straight national championships. They are working on one of the longest streaks of being number one in the AP poll uh, in the history of the poll. In fact, what? Within the next couple of weeks, they can establish the mark for the second longest reign atop the Associated Press poll, which is a remarkable feat in and of itself. And they are, of course, going to, as we say around here, go for three and 23. That's the mission. That's the goal of winning a third straight national championship, something that has not happened in college football uh, since the 1930s. And, uh, you know, certainly any kind of modern time in college football, that's pre-poll, that's pre-almost anything else, uh, essentially has not happened in anything that sort of feels like the modern era of college football that's sort of what's on on tap here for Georgia that's what they're participating this season to try to accomplish this could be a historic run the likes of which no college football team's ever seen and I think when you understand all this you have to kind of understand what makes college football different than other sports. We have seen three straight championships in plenty of other sports before. It's happened in Major League Baseball. It's happened in the NBA. But in football, for whatever reason, it just has not happened. In college football in particular, the sport we're talking about here right now, it's the kind of thing that hasn't happened. So the idea of, as some people say, a three-peat, or as we say, the go for three and 23, that's even more special in college football because of the rarity of that happening within the confines of this sport. Something that can happen in other sports seemingly has been impossible for anyone to achieve in college football. So the only thing we've ever asked is, the only thing we've ever asked is for the media types, the people that sort of establish the narrative and, and, and tell the tale of what's happening a season, the only thing we've ever asked is recognize the history that's playing out in front of you. And it just sort of seems like a lot of the national types have been either slow or unwilling or just ignorant to 
the the history that is potentially playing out with Georgia here right now. Now, I don't say this in some sort of like thin-skinned way because, honestly, I don't get my feelings hurt when someone picks against Georgia or when someone says someone else is going to win. But in the case of the discussion about Georgia right now, that's actually really not what's being said. No one is coming out overtly and stating, I think that Georgia's weak, therefore I think that Georgia's going to lose. No, but what you what you have instead is is this discussion about other teams and what they might be. You know, oh, mighty Michigan has been more dominant on a week-to-week basis than Georgia's been. Ohio State's got the better overall resume than what Georgia has. Or, you know, whatever other thing you want to pick out here. There just seems to be this desire to have a conversation about something other than Georgia. And what I'm here to tell you is, is if some of these media types are not careful, they're going to end up looking like NBA executives look way back in the you know, mid-80s when they were ignoring Michael Jordan when Jordan would later go on to be the greatest of all time and they were fixated on Sam Bowie or whatever, you know, other player was getting that conversation. Bobby Knight was apparently wise enough to get that. He saw greatness in the moment. He realized, yeah, this is the best of all time. And yet, given the same chance to make a similar uh, uh, evaluation here right now, it seems like a lot around college football are just either unable or very slow to want to do this to recognize that Georgia is in the midst of what could be a historic season, and we ought to be talking more about that. Instead, what you have is this. Whether it's like the Joel Klatz or I saw Stephen A. Smith or anybody that sort of talks about this kind of stuff on television, there's this aggressive attempt to make sure we're not considering anything about last year for Georgia. This is a brand new year, and all you can look at is what Georgia's doing here right now. We're, we're, we're going to ignore what's happened the last couple of years. Now, from an evaluative standpoint about where it's supposed to be ranked here in the moment, I guess that perhaps makes sense. But if you are really bending over backwards to act like the last two national championship seasons have, you know, didn't happen for Georgia, if you're ignoring that, if you're working really hard to ignore that, you know, I think what you're doing is you're running the risk of missing the history that could be playing out in front of you, that Georgia could this year complete the the most significant, the most historic, the greatest run of any team of, of all time, the kind of thing that other great programs would have tried to have done and failed. If Georgia were to complete this and finish this off, they would achieve where others would have failed. And that's the kind of thing that I think a lot of media types are going to look back on if it does happen and realize they spent way too much time trying to talk up Michigan, trying to make the case for Ohio State's resume because they beat, you know, Notre Dame and Penn State as if we're supposed to faint because of uh, that accomplishment or any other team that might be generating that chatter here right now. And that's kind of I want to play another clip for you here because honestly, you know, sometimes Paul Feinbaum is also one of those guys. It's perhaps not every Georgia fan's cup of tea. You know, sometimes Feinbaum seems to, I I don't know, I guess you have your own opinion about whatever you think that Paul Feinbaum perhaps is. But on ESPN this week, at least he had the sense seemingly to sort of recognize what we think Georgia is right now. We do believe that not only is Georgia the two-time national champion with a very straight path towards a third straight, we also believe that Georgia should just be ranked the number one team here right now. And we're not going to ignore what the Georgia has established about itself over the course of the last couple of years. We're not going to ignore that. We're going to use that as part of our overall evaluation because that is the level of respect that seemingly Georgia should have earned, even though some media members seem to be working very hard to twist themselves into knots and to pretend like that doesn't matter there at all. But on ESPN this week, Feinbaum made it very clear that I don't care you know, how dominant Michigan's been on a week-to-week basis or what Ohio State's overall resume might be the number one team in the country for this year is still the same one that it's been the last two years i think feinbaum got it right this is what he said this week on espn 
Georgia should be number one. It has nothing to do with what they've done in the past. It's really about what they are right now, and I still think they're the best team in the country. And they proved that Saturday. They weren't playing a, a great team in Florida, but they were playing without their best player and maybe the best player in the country in Brock Bowers, and they were dominating. And I think that's what people fail to realize about this team. Early on, they took their time. They, they had some close calls, but in recent weeks, they have been dominating. They have been explosive. Uh, Carson Beck has really emerged as a, as a nice replacement to Stetson Bennett. And I'm not going to scream and holler. I'm not going to jump uh, up, up, up and down because it will, it will take care of itself. But Ohio State has beaten Notre Dame. They've beaten Penn State. Okay, big deal. I think Georgia is the best team in the country right now. Two quick points about this. First of all, Feinbaum at the end of that clip says, hey, I'm not going to scream and holler about this because it's all going to take care of itself. That's obviously true. Most of this is just sort of like, you know, a sporting debate, sort of a made-for-TV debate or the kind of thing we do just to sort of have something fun to talk about in the middle of the week before we get back to playing games again on Saturday. There's an element of, of this debate and this discussion that's sort of contrived, but I don't mind that because I enjoy arguing about college football. That's how we show our love for the sport, by arguing about stuff like this. So, so there's an element of this debate and discussion about who should be number one in the CFP poll that legitimately is just for the sport of the argument and not for anything more tangible and meaningful than that. Fine by right to bring that up but if we're going to have the discussion we're going to have the argument then I think that Feinbaum is on the right side when he says Georgia ought to be number one but the one thing that Feinbaum also said there at the beginning of that clip that kind of brings me back to the point we've been making throughout the uh the beginning of our show here today is this is that Feinbaum says listen I don't care about the past I'm not worried about the past I'm talking about this here right now and I know that Kirby's big about this too every year being independent of itself and each even the games within the season being independent of themselves there as well that that what 2023 is trying to do has nothing to do with what the 2022 team got done. You know, coaches say that kind of stuff all the time. But ultimately, I don't believe that's necessarily all that true. I actually do believe that the run that Georgia's on right now, even though in some cases it's different players, it's guys in an expanded role or in a, just a brand new role than they've perhaps ever been before, and some of the guys that contributed to the last two national championships, they're no longer here. I do think this is a continuing story for Georgia. It's about the extension of an era for another year, and it's about a, a, a claim to fame that no one else has ever been able to have. Georgia really can go for three and 23. Now, perhaps they won't. Maybe they fall short. Every other team that's tried this obviously has. But if Georgia doesn't, if Georgia doesn't trip up, if Georgia doesn't mess up, if Georgia really does march to a third straight national championship, then all of these people in the CFP rankings who've talked about this stuff and found reason to sort of fall in love with someone else other than Georgia in this year's first CFP ranking, in last year's first CFP ranking when Georgia was only number three, any other sort of podcast or video or TV show where the national landscape of college football is discussed, all these people who've been fixated on teams other than Georgia while Georgia has gone on a historic run, the likes of which it might continue here this year, Looking back on that, some of those folks may feel just as foolish for ignoring UGA as the people who didn't have Michael Jordan as the best of all time way back in the 1980s. It could be history repeating itself all over again. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Meriwether and Tharp, and we are happy to have you with us no matter how. You get to us uh, live on video. We start at 10 a.m. across all video platforms. 
Our first and 15 there at dognation.com and on the Dog Nation app begins for you 945. Of course, we're on the radio, Athens Sports Radio 960, the ref, and we are available as a podcast there as well. So uh, any kind of platform you choose to use, audio, video, whatever else, we just try to make the show as accessible for you as we possibly can. And we certainly appreciate our friends at Meriwether and Tharp for making it all possible there as well. Your source for Georgia divorce. And I truly mean Georgia here on this because Meriwether and Tharp now stretches all across Georgia. Brand new offices opening up. Can't wait to tell you more about that. That's certainly an exciting thing. Uh, in fact, we got a brand new website we've been telling you about the last couple of weeks to sort of reflect their new statuses beyond just the Atlanta area, all throughout the state of Georgia with big-time offices opening up here. Go to georgiadivorceteam.com and you can learn everything you need to know about Meriwether and Tharp. That's georgiadivorce.com. Uh, I should say, let me say it one more time, georgiadivorceteam.com. Let me, make, let me make sure I said that right, georgiadivorceteam.com. And that'll get you in touch with uh, Meriwether and Tharp there on all of that. And I want you to really explore the website. If this is something you feel like you need, if you've kind of gone through the, the the process on this and you've looked at all your options, you sort of realize that divorce is probably the next step for you. If it's the kind of thing that you, perhaps you feel is unavoidable, then getting the most satisfactory outcome possible is obviously the next best decision you can make for yourself in a situation like that. And one of I think the big questions that loom for folks who kind of view divorce as an obvious next step for them is how do you control the cost related to some of this kind of stuff? Because there's obviously a, a financial consideration here. How do you control the cost related to that? And it's one of the things I love about Meriwether and Tharp. They kind of anticipate your concern when you move into a divorce discussion. And obviously the expense of that, the cost of that is one of the things that's probably top of mind for you among a few other things there as well. And so that's why Meriwether and Tharp has now kind of expanded its offerings to provide a range of options for you. There's like a DIY option that can be as low as 99 there's the M&T assisted model, which can be as low as $1,749. There's also the model M&T, which is kind of a cool thing because it provides you a little bit of a combination of the Meriwether and Tharp services. And you have a couple of different ways you can pay for that, like a subscription-based model, which is kind of an interesting way to do this, or sort of a flat fee there on that, which is, I think, really cool too. And there's also the traditional representation that Meriwether and Tharp can provide if you have what you feel like is a very complicated situation. And some, sometimes these can be more complicated a more traditional representation makes sense for you. But whatever is best for you, Meriwether and Tharp wants to provide the option for you there on that. So please make sure you find them online. It's georgiadivorceteam.com. For Meriwether and Tharp, it's the, it's the source for you. It's your source for Georgia Divorce. Find them online at georgiadivorceteam.com. All right, we're going to get Terrence Edwards coming up in a moment. Terrence was a part of a very, very special moment on Saturday. And he's going to tell us all about that here in a little bit. Cannot wait to hear about that from him. Really good stuff coming from Terrence on that here in just a little bit. Uh, at the Georgia-Florida game, not just his own honoring as part of the Georgia-Florida Hall of Fame, but what it felt like to stand alongside Coach Rick. As Rick also got the huge ovation from the crowd there on Saturday. Kind of a chill-inducing moment, I thought. And uh, Terrence had the uh, best spot for that. So he'll give us all of that, including his own honor here coming up in just a moment. Prior to that, though, let's go around the doghouse. Presented today by our friends at ServPro. And I want to talk here for a moment about what I think is going to be one of the really big moments in Saturday's game for Georgia against Missouri. Because keep in mind this, you know, last year Georgia goes to Como as a huge favorite, early struggles in that game, built up the confidence of the Missouri team, the Missouri crowd got into the game, and all of a sudden, you know, Georgia's sort of in a fight for its life against Missouri because of how that game kind of got started from the very beginning. And we know for Georgia this year, the so-called like 
at, at times lack of fast start on offense, although it seems like that's been kind of corrected. But the fast start for the opposing side, uh, when you talk about the uh, Georgia defense against the opposing offense, all of a sudden that's suddenly become an issue, including on Saturday, first drive of the game, Florida offensively marches right down the field, hit a uh, couple of slam passes, got, you know, got Wilson involved, all of a sudden the Gators are in the end zone. And for a lot of us, that was kind of like, whoa, what's going on here? You know, Their crowd was into it. All of a sudden Florida's really believing. Georgia, to its credit, kind of bounces back after that and does everything it needed to do, scored 30-something straight points. The defense was awesome after that first drive. But nonetheless, that first drive was like, whoa, what is going on here? A lot of Georgia fans had a reason to be nervous after that. And in the postgame press conference on Saturday, Kirby Smart did talk about you know how his team responded after seeing another team just go right down the field on them to begin the game. Something about those opening drives have been a little bit weird for Georgia defensively a little bit this year. This is what Kirby Smart said about that on Saturday evening. We're kind of getting used to that. I mean, we gave it we gave it up against Vanderbilt, uh, I think, and, and maybe South Carolina. I think both of those games. And there's not a lot of panic in that group. We certainly need to rectify starting the game better. But the comfortable part is that nobody panics. We had some mistakes, some anxiety. Hadn't played in two weeks. Give them credit. They threw the ball to a really good playmaker. Um, we talked all week about Wilson and three. He's a really good player, and they did a great job utilizing his skill set and we didn't do a great job stopping it but it wasn't like there was a panic mode it was can we control the run game if we can control the run game we'll eventually slow down the throw and as Kirby says to George's credit you know they make some plays to begin with but then after that there's no like shell shock response from Georgia there's no to use his word there's no panic there from that standpoint Georgia sort of moves on from there and does what it needs to do and that's obviously what Georgia did but yesterday, if you uh, got a chance to hear the program, we talked to Jake Fromm about this because there are certain things that as a quarterback, Jake obviously a part of the Washington Commanders organization and clearly a uh, successful former quarterback at Georgia, as a quarterback you have some kind of insight into what's going on and the idea that when you look at Florida's touchdown drive and you know what South Carolina and Vanderbilt teams like that have done, there's the idea of the play script to begin the game, a handful of plays that you know you're going to run them, you're going to run them in this order, and you're going to do that regardless of down and distance. You're going to just go out there and you're going to have this collective, this collection of plays that you've seen on film that you think will work, that your offense is sort of prepared and planned for operating to the highest possible level. And it's that beginning sequence of scripted plays that teams have found success with Georgia on. And Jake was kind of talking about that a little bit yesterday, so I kind of asked him to go more into detail of, oh, okay, so exactly what should we take away from this? that teams like Florida and others have had success during that opening sequence where you're kind of in the play script portion of your offense running plays that you'd already planned pre-game to run in that spot, in that time. What do you make of that necessarily? Uh, Jake gave us some really good insight on that, so let's hear from Jake on that here right now. Yeah, I mean, so what you're seeing on that first drive is a lot of the uh, you know fruit of the labor of the offensive coaching staff uh, throughout the week, you know, they're scheming up, they're looking for a, a certain look in a certain situation, uh, a certain check. Um, when you motion over, you, you go in two and from a bunch, um, you know, or, or from a two-by-two two to a three-by-one, and, you know, really trying to exploit some of the schematics um, that the Georgia defense has, and then, you know, they do ultimately, and then Georgia goes to uh, the sideline. Uh, they get the uh, pencil and paper out, and they yeah. make some adjustments, and you know it, it, they pretty much nip that in the bud for the rest of the game. So it's, it's good, 
you know, on, on both teams, you know, good for the opposing team. Like, hey, that that's what you're supposed to do. You did a great job of, of finding a little a little crease in there. Um, but then also, man, you got to give a big tip of your cap to the Georgia defensive uh, coaching staff for being able to make some quick fixes and, and, and get it taken care of. I think the points that Jake is making there are obviously very fair. That, you know, if you're a team like Florida, you've got two weeks to prepare for a game like that. You would hope the coaching staff could, you know, even against a very talented and, you know, typically dominant defense like Georgia, you would hope they would be able to kind of find a few wrinkles that can that can exploit or a few, you know, uh, blemishes to take advantage of. You would hope they would be able to do that, and obviously they were able to do that. So I guess in some respect you kind of credit the opposition. But on the flip side of that, as Jake says, you also credit Georgia for after – kind of you know taking a punch in the mouth like that all of a sudden you regroup you react and you really kind of lock down from there and that's very clearly what the Georgia defense did after that for almost the entirety of the game it was actually a great performance for Georgia defensively despite the fact that it gave up that touchdown drive to begin the game but nonetheless when you talk about teams kind of finding a way to exploit Georgia on the opening drives it makes a difference for Saturday because you're talking about a team in Missouri that last year fed off uh, a good early start in that game to sort of have belief and hang around for the entirety of the game. And shifting the uh, series between these two teams to Athens on Saturday, where you know the Georgia crowd wants to get involved, where you know they want to be a factor, and it takes some good play early on both offense and defense from UGA to really get that you know uh, crowd between the hedges, Dooley Field, Sanford Stadium to the full fever pitch. So I'd say this is one of those things to really watch for on Saturday. Kirby says, sort of sarcastically, jokingly, we've kind of gotten used to now giving up that touchdown to begin the game. We've done it so much here this year. But obviously it goes, you know, without saying, then a game against Missouri, a team that you probably feel is better than Florida, giving them that score only increases their possible likelihood of remaining competitive throughout the entirety of the game. So if you really want to zero in on something that could really matter on Saturday, can Georgia against a sharp offensive-minded coach like Eli Drinkwitz with the offensive weapons to potentially you know, kind of toy with and play with, can Georgia avoid the opening touchdown given up? Can they avoid that? And can they eliminate any chance for Missouri to develop confidence from the very beginning of the game? Obviously, if it does, you'd have to think that increases the likelihood that Georgia goes out and gets the kind of performance on Saturday that many UGA fans are expecting. But in that sort of play script portion of the game, when the opposing offense kind of knows what it already wants to run, that's a spot where teams have had success against Georgia here this year. Saturday to see if that can be prevented from a Georgia defense that seems to be finding its way here a little bit right now. That should be something to watch. And that is Around the Doghouse, presented today by our friends at Pro. And of course, Georgia's got its issues it's trying to fix there on the football field with Missouri coming to town. But you've got your own issues, perhaps, to think about. And that's where Pro can come in, especially if you've got some sort of damage or mess that needs to be cleaned up. I'm talking about fire damage or water intrusion or one of those deals where it's just kind of a mess and you just wish you could sort of like blink your eyes and it would all disappear. And perhaps that kind of magic isn't possible. But our friends at Pro can do the next best thing for you because they can get it all cleaned back up and fixed back up and leave it like it never even happened. And I can tell you this from personal experience. We had Pro in our building, what, last year? They've also been back on our floor again here this year. I've actually seen with my own eyes the kind of tremendous work they do in 
getting stuff fixed up and cleaned up. And literally, if you go into our break room area, our kitchen area here at Dog Nation World Headquarters, where we had a big mess earlier, you'd never be able to tell. The friend, the folks at Surf Pro got it all taken care of and left it back like it never even happened. That's exactly what our friends at Surf Pro are all about. So please make sure you find them online. It's surfpro.com. That's S-E-R-V. Surfpro.com. They got you covered for your fire damage, water intrusion, their restoration specialists can take care of you on all that. Surfpro.com for more on that today. All right, so we're going to talk Georgia-Missouri. We're going to talk everything about what's going to happen for the dogs on Saturday. But I also want to look back to what I thought was a really special moment for a couple of great guys uh, this past weekend there in Jacksonville, too. So let's cover all of that ground right now as we welcome on Terrence Edwards here to Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Terrence, I'm glad to have you in the program today, and I thought it was an incredible moment on Saturday. I, I kept looking for you to try to get a chance to uh, shake your hand and congratulate you. Never saw you in person, but I certainly saw you on the field there, and you, you get a great ovation going to the Georgia-Florida Hall of Fame. You were standing there alongside Coach Rick as he got really a thunderous ovation. You have wonderful pictures. Michael Carvel, our producer, thank you for showing these off. Uh, a tremendous bust there for uh for Terrence um uh really uh, just a great looking thing there and a uh, wonderful uh celebration there for you Terrence what did this uh what did this moment mean for you uh not just for yourself but also to be there alongside coach Rick as well you know once I received the call and they told me who I was going in with I think I was more excited about going in with coach Rick than just being about myself I you know the coach Rick has done so much for me uh, in my career um, on an altar field that I could never repay him. But going in into the Hall of Fame with him uh, was just the, the probably the most proudest moment for me for the whole weekend. And I, I got to tell you, I didn't realize like the bust, like the frame likeness of your face kind of in bronze like that. I didn't quite realize that was like the the prize for going to this Hall of Fame. We're watching this on video for those of us who are on video right now. That's quite a great looking thing right there. That's gonna look. I mean, that looks awesome in the uh, in the uh, you know the Wall of Fame that you perhaps have in your home or something like that. That's a pretty cool uh, thing to be getting as far as the Hall of Fame induction goes. Yes, and that's a replica. That's not even what we would get. I oh wow! The bus was not uh, ready yet, so they gave us. And they didn't give it to us. They're going to ship it to us, what I'm holding up. But we're going to get an actual bus. Um, and, you know, the good thing about it, you know, my brother who's in the other picture with me That's right. in the Georgia Board Hall of Fame. So um, now we have, we have two. We have two in the, in, in the Edwards family. Uh, you know, we can show our kids' kids. And, uh, that's great. Just something that they're special to the Edwards, Edwards family. No doubt about that. That's really cool. One more thing on this. Uh, did what did Coach Rick say, if anything, about you know the applause and the ovation that he got? I thought it was a great chance for Georgia fans on a very kind of large scale way to sort of show him how much that moment meant to him, or you know how much he meant to them. Um, you know, what did Coach Rick say uh, about that, if anything, about that how, how that felt to be recognized to the to the sort of extreme degree that he was by UGA fans? Just really, I thought outpouring of love and emotion for him. Uh, did Coach Rick uh, say anything to you about that? Uh, not necessary, but we all know what type of uh, love that the dog nation has, has for Coach Rick. But I'm going to tell you this, Brandon. You, you 
should have seen the Florida players that was with me and that came along with Joe Hayden, Ernest Graham. How much yeah. respect and love that they showed him. I That's have great. a picture of Joe Hayden uh, hugging Coach Rick, and you just can see the level of respect that the Florida players have for him. And um, Joe Hayden had Carlos Dunlap there, and Carlos Dunlap was just trying to get so many pitches with, with Coach Rick. And um, they respect him. I think they respect even more of of his situation he got going on. I mean, they yeah. were trying to take care of him, help him walk through the outline. You just should have seen the respect that the Florida players showed for Coach Rick. And I think I, I know the the love that the Dog Nation have, but the love and adulation that the Florida players showed Coach Rick was more uh, more enlightened for me than what the Dog Nation. Fans have for because I already know what what they have for him. Just the Florida players to show the respect they showed was just overwhelming for me. That's a a really nice thing to hear, Terrence. I'm glad you shared that. One of the things we talked about before you joined us today is the fact that you know Saturday was a day in which George obviously dominates the game, but the beginning opening drive kind of makes you a little nervous. Florida marches right down the field and scores. Kind of continue what has perhaps been a little bit of a trend here this year where. You know, teams have kind of found success on that opening drive. We talked to Jake Fromm yesterday about kind of the play script portion of that. You know, teams kind of preparing and planning for the plays they knew they wanted to run and finding some success while doing that. What do you kind of make of of that? And, you know, given a team like Missouri that obviously trying to pull an upset on Saturday, how important it is to prevent them from gaining that belief at the very beginning of the game there. How much do you zero in on the opening drive here on Saturday against Missouri as an important key part. Perhaps it's not because Georgia's shaking that off now a few times, but you certainly don't want to keep playing with fire if you can if you can help it. What do you look at from the, uh, I guess, the Georgia defense on Saturday the first time it takes on that opposing offense on the first drive of the game? You know, I also think, you know, we kind of overreact a little bit from the Florida drive because they, just like us, did have two weeks off to prepare. And going to that opening drive, um, they probably have done some things that we haven't seen. They threw some new wrinkles in because that's what most teams do. You, like I, we spoke about last week, you analyze um, your tendencies, and they probably broke some ten- tendencies that we haven't seen. But we settled down, and they went back to who they were and, and who we were, and the game was just over with after that. But, you know, this game here, um, you know, Missouri, I don't think they played last week, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Did they play last week? Missouri did not play last week, no. So that that's so that's my point. They coming off now of a whole week to prepare, uh, two weeks to prepare for us, and uh, we only have one week. So it's going to be important for the first drive, just like you said, because Missouri is probably going to throw some wrinkles in that we haven't seen, and uh, we're just going to have to go in and, and withstand that opening punch. If they go down and score, we can't get – too overwhelmed and too over a look like oh here we go again a slow start no you got to give the credit to the opposing team sometimes that they did a good job of, of scripting their opening drive but how do the rest of the game go and that's what I'm gonna be looking at and then beyond that you know as, as others have kind of pointed out is that Georgia has so effectively kind of bounced back from that especially on Saturday where you know Terrence you know you know the, the opening touchdown notwithstanding, this to me on Saturday against Florida 
looked a lot more like the kind of Georgia defense that we were hoping to see, that we're used to seeing. You know, this sort of felt like a defense that that is certainly hopefully coming into its own because when you get Jalen Walker involved, you know, Tyron Ingram Dawkins involved, obviously more Marvin Jones Jr., which we were hoping for. Damon Wilson now seems like he's ready to go and kind of ready to contribute there. You know, you had a lot more kind of dynamic play kind of coming off that outside edge on Saturday from the Georgia defense than we're used to seeing, at least this season. And I thought this was, you know, even with that opening touchdown, I thought this was a big step in the right direction for the Georgia defense overall. Hey, yes, I think this was probably their best performance. Um, I don't necessarily think we blitzed a lot this game, but we got pressure with the front four with Jalen Walker and uh, Ingram. Uh, so that was good to see that those guys was able to, to put pressure on Grand Marks and made him fumble a few times. And uh, once your your front seven start putting pressure on you know the quarterback, that also allows your, your secondary to gain confidence that they can take more chances or they can stick onto their receivers. Don't have to cover as long um, as as normal. So it, it all plays uh, hand in hand. If the front seven is getting pressured, then the secondary can do a lot more things. Um, as far as just sitting on routes or just being more comfortable to take chances because they know that their front seven is getting pressure. So I think it's the best game that we play, especially from the D-line standpoint of uh, getting pressure without having to blitz a lot. So let's talk more about Missouri and the position you obviously know the best, the wide receiver spot. I mean, I think that Luther Burden is the best player that Georgia will face in the regular season. I just think he's been that good. He didn't have a great game against Kentucky for whatever reason, but other than that, he's had you know almost a sure thing, 100-yard receiving day just about every time out. And in plenty of games, he's had far more than that too. Eli Drinkwitz has been very good at kind of knowing how to get him open. Brady Cook, the quarterback, has had a you know much better year than I would have ever expected him to have. There's a lot about this Missouri offense that really works very well right now. But to me, Burden is the number one name to know. When you look at him and the rest of these Missouri wide receivers, to the extent you've gotten a chance to see them, you know, kind of what do you see, perhaps from Burden in particular, just because he's the most famous name, but that group overall has had a good bit of success here this year. Yes, um, Luther is definitely one of the receivers that I um, really wanted throughout the time that for me, it's like watching receivers, he's one of the best that, that I have studied throughout his high school career, even his college career. He is he's that good. So, uh, yes, he's going to be someone that we have to pay attention to. Um, the defense is probably going to shift his way, so that allows the other defenders to uh, have to play more man. I would love, and I know Georgia has never done this, but I would love to see uh, uh, number three, uh, Lassiter, kind yeah. of shadow Barton, uh, but we have never done that in our defense. But I would just love to see that matchup, just play every play and see – uh, what Lassiter can do, because I think Lassiter is, is, is very good, and he's probably going to be a, a first-round draft pick this upcoming draft. I would love to see that matchup play in and play out, but we don't we don't shout him. Uh, I'm just going to be honest. I'm just, you know, once Lassiter's not on him, I'm, I'm kind of nervous about any other matchup in the secondary, especially from the outside corner position. I saw that Georgia did rotate uh, Julian Humphries in last, last week more than he's had before. Um, so I'm kind of nervous about the matchup when Lassiter is not on it because Luther Burton is the real deal. That's true, and that kind of brings me into a conversation. It seems like I have see Georgia fans having a pretty good bit as it relates to the other cornerback, Dalen Everett. From my 
standpoint for my money, I feel like Everett's probably having a pretty good year. I feel like I see moments in which, you know, he's hand fighting well, he's dislodging footballs pretty well, you know, perhaps going through some growing pains. I mean, obviously, cornerback in the SEC at this level, not an easy thing to do. But while, you know, he's maybe not at the level of Kamari Laster, and I'm like you, I like a Laster versus, you know, Bird matchup perhaps better than I would like a, you know, uh, you know, an Everett matchup in that, you know, standpoint. Uh, but overall, I feel like that Everett's probably had a pretty good year for Georgia. Do you have an evaluation on what you think that Everett's provided at the other cornerback spot? You know, I, I think he's done okay. I think he's uh, adjusting to the SEC football. He is a first-time starter. Uh, but it tells you a lot. Um, last week, uh, it could have been for injuries. I don't know. But I did see Julian Hawkins rotate in more than he's done uh, in the past. I haven't really seen them rotate the corners at all. So for Julian Hawkins to now starting to rotate with Dylan Everett, that tells you a lot that uh, they're probably not as uh, confident in, in Everett right now and trying to get Julian some reps. Um because that, that's a big-time game against Florida, and uh, he was rotating. So you've got to take into account. You've got to look at that and wonder why uh, those two are rotating. Um, I mean, I, I think I, I like Humphrey's speed a lot. We all know what kind of speed he brings to the table. Um, so he must have the coach's confidence to put him in the game that early against against the Florida opponent. So we'll see. We'll see if he, if they continue to rotate this week, and then if they do, then it, if there's smoke, there's some fire. And I'll also say this just real quick. When you look at the next three games for Georgia, offensive-minded coach like Eli Drinkwitz, offensive-minded coach like Lane Kiffin, offensive-minded coach like Josh Heupel, the other thing, Terrence, that all three of these coaches are going to do is try to exploit the other areas of Georgia's secondary. I think the secondary overall is more of the strengths of the team here this year, but we're going to see you know star position like Tyke Smith and a lot more coverage opportunities. We're going to watch how he runs with receivers here uh safeties I mean I think the Georgia safeties are obviously one of the strengths of the team but there's going to be a lot more like one-on-one coverage for a Malachi Starks or you know you're, you're going to see just more of you know Javon Buller you're going to see more of these safeties nickelback you're going to see more of that in coverage in these final regular season games because that's what these opposing offenses, these offensive-minded coaches want to do. They want to spread you out, and they want to try to see if they can find a weakness in your coverage area somewhere, and that's going to kind of be the name of the game here for Georgia moving forward as well. So most definitely, and that goes back to the front four. Uh, we allow them to uh, get pressure and bring pressure with just rushing the, the, the uh, front four and not have to bring five or six and we can drop into coverage, uh, then I think we'll be fine. If we start to have to bring uh, plus one and we don't get home, then that leads, definitely leads to one-on-one matchups. And as a receiver, uh, one-on-one matchups favors the receiver. Um, so that's going to be the game. I, I think you're right that our secondary is probably strength, but that front seven now really has to bring their game like they did against Florida so we can get pressure and he won't be able to sit back there for three to four four seconds and finally those talented uh, skill position players. And just thinking about the game last year, I think this is, you know, kind of one of those games where, um, you know, Missouri took us to the brink, and I think that's going to be the talking point this weekend. Yeah. You know, if you don't bring your A game, you see what can happen. And along with the college football playoff coming along, you know, moving us to number two and kind of, you know, in their minds, dis- disrespecting us again. I hope you have the same effect that it did against Tennessee last year. 
Yeah, I think that's right. Let me finish with this, which is I know that Lad McConkey's a guy you've tied up for a long time, and obviously McConkey's worth the Georgia has been proven over and over, but perhaps never more so than on Saturday. It's the first game without Brock Bowers. That's obviously a big deal. It's been talked about for a reason. And yet the overall stat line that you think Bowers might would have been able to produce, that's essentially what Lad McConkey gave you as, as well. More than 100 yards receiving, you know, got a touchdown for Georgia, looked like he was healthier than he has been at any point in time this year. We'll continue to monitor the situation with his back, of course. But my gosh, you're talking about getting a weapon back at exactly the right time. You'd love to have them both, McConkey and Bowers out there together. But if you can't have Brock Bowers bringing back a guy like Ladd the way that Georgia did this past Saturday, what a boost that was to the Georgia offense. What did you make of Ladd's performance? Yes, I, I had an opportunity to speak with him before the game, and he told me he was, he was going to put on a show, and put on a show he did. So getting a player back like Ladd is, um, was big, knowing that we wouldn't have all the best player out there in Brock. So getting him back uh, was a big boost. Getting him back healthier was probably you know the best thing that could happen to our offense. And um, you know I'm looking for him to continue to do what Ladd has done throughout his whole career. Uh, I'm just looking for for Dominic to have a big game this this week. It's yeah. probably going to be a emotional game for him playing against his old team. I think his old team is probably going to feel disrespected that he left them to go to Georgia. So it's going to probably be an emotional time for him and playing against a defense that, that he knows very well. So um, I'm going to be looking at that matchup and see how we can get him involved into this matchup to kind of soothe some of the – you know, the anxiousness that he's going to bring. Probably getting some screens early to, to make some plays. But, you know, having Ladd back was, was big for, for our offensive uh, momentum. Terrence, it's a great conversation. I appreciate that. And, of course, uh, you've worked with receivers like Ladd McConkey throughout the years, and you're working with the next generation of great pass catchers here right now. And so if people want more of the Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy and what you provide on a regular basis, it won't be too much longer. We'll be in the wintertime, and that bubble work will be getting going here when these high school seasons start to come to an end. So if people want to get an early start on that with you there at the Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy, how can they find you online? Yes, the bubble work will start, and in February we're starting to kind of uh, get the schedule uh, locked in. So anyone's looking to get their high schooler, uh, from work out the season, try to be the best player that they could be going to their next season or in a high school that's going into college and yeah. they're looking just to get work in before they enter into college. You can find me um, on all social media platforms at Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy. Terrence, great stuff. We appreciate you being here today. We'll look forward to talking to you again very soon. Thank you. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, really good stuff from Terrence Edwards. Love that here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp here today. And, of course, with that said, we'll now transition to cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean and something else to be excited about. Listen, I was actually thinking about this yesterday, that we're getting closer now to the Dog Nation cruise. It seems like it's still you know ways away because, obviously, it's in the new year, spring of the new year. But we're into November now. That means... We're sort of late stages of 2023. You know, I've been telling you a while about early 2024 and all the stuff that'd be going on. Well, all that stuff starts to feel like it's getting closer, including my own trip on uh, Icon of the Seas coming up, which I'm really excited about. But boy, I'm excited about all of us being together on Allure of the Seas for the Dog Nation Cruise in April. And it is it is time to be getting ready for this. It's time to be planning for this. So we've had, you know, so many of you have already signed up to be a part of our Dog Nation Cruise, which we are thrilled about. 
but we want the rest of you to go ahead and know it's time to make your plans. Perhaps maybe even ask for that for like a Christmas gift, or perhaps you give that to somebody else for a Christmas gift here this year. You know, last year we gave my mom a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation for Christmas. It was a huge hit. We're so proud to have been able to do that. I'm telling you right now, that'd be great for you as well with the people that you love, or if you want to drop that hint for somebody to do it for you, that's perhaps even better. Uh, they say it's better to give than to receive, but when it comes to a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation, maybe either one is fine as long as you also get a chance to go on that cruise yourself. So Jessica Slater is going to help you out with that. Give her a call. She's a travel agent, a wonderful one, and she was specially selected for us by Royal Caribbean to handle all of our Royal Caribbean cruise vacation needs. So give her a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. You can also email her, jslater at dreamvacations.com, or you can check out a website that she's put together specifically for the Dog Nation Cruise. It's called royaldogs.com. Of course, dog spelled D-A-W-G-S, royaldogs.com for more on that. So I want to talk about this here for a moment. Obviously, the big game, uh, outside of Georgia, Missouri on Saturday in the SEC is Alabama and LSU, kind of the renewal of what has been a very important rivalry in the SEC these past few years. And tomorrow we'll give you our final and official thoughts on kind of how this game plays out. As I've told you, it's taken me a little while to sort of figure out what my angle is on this game. But I think now I'm fairly confident in my pick, and I'll give that to you tomorrow officially, completely, to wrap up the week here. But this week, both coaches have talked, Nick Saban and, uh, and and Brian Kelly, about the future of the rivalry. And I thought it was very interesting that Brian Kelly made it pretty clear that Alabama is a team that he'd like to see LSU play every year moving forward. And I think this is kind of a, a nice thing from Kelly because whether it be publicly in some cases and privately, a lot of cases, there are a lot of SEC teams that have just run from playing anybody. The, 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 you know, There's not a lot of support for a nine-game conference schedule, would seem – you know, you've had teams seemingly not want to play Georgia. Perhaps there's a few that no longer want to play Alabama. Uh, LSU is obviously a program of very high stature. You know, Kelly's relatively new here in the SEC, but not shying away from competition. He says, hey, you know, we this rivalry's meant something. We want to preserve this. Uh, uh, you know, that's, that's what we want to do. And I think that's kind of cool. I, I do. So I'll credit Brian Kelly for that a little bit. I don't know that he's going to get his wish necessarily, but I will credit him for that. However, the other reason why I bring this up is, is because, you know, we've been told, well, you know, the SEC, all they've got right now is the A-team conference schedule for 2024. That's a placeholder, and they're going to figure out something long-term later on in the future. They're not even worried about that right now. But i got to tell you, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence here that would suggest that the idea that all these talks are just tabled sometime deep into the future, that's not necessarily true. You had Hugh Freeze that, you know, dropped a hint earlier this year that George and Auburn would no longer be playing each other anymore. Uh, on a yearly basis, you had uh, uh, somebody else. Nick Saban was talking the other day about you know something related to some of these. Basically, also kind of letting it be known that you know it was Alabama, Tennessee, or whatever he's talking about. You know, the idea that might not be played every year moving forward. There clearly seems to be some back channel conversations happening on a fairly regular basis, and it seems like the SEC is a lot closer to resolution uh, than sometimes they perhaps you know sometimes hinted being. And it seems like we're a lot more likely heading towards like the eight-game conference slate than we're heading towards the nine-game conference slate, which I think is just sort of a huge failing on the part of the SEC. I really do, and a huge failing on the media partner ESPN, who's not stepping up to fund the the, the larger inventory of games and the overall better competition. I've obviously blamed ESPN for this, and I'll continue to do so. 
But the SEC is also kind of mishandling this, too, if you bring in Texas and Oklahoma, but somehow with more SEC teams, don't find a way to give us more SEC games. It just feels like that's a real lost opportunity and kind of a real mess up. And one of the other things that Kelly said this week was is that, you know, the SEC teams have had a chance to sort of weigh in on like traditional rivalries they want to see preserved and things like that. And I know in the Big Ten at one point prior to the addition of USC and UCLA, there was some talk that, you know, not every team would have multiple yearly rivalry games that some games matter more so than others and so the teams that need those would keep those and the teams that don't wouldn't I don't know that you can do that in the SEC while also giving the teams the chance to play everybody in the league twice over a four-year span there's just only so much space to do all this kind of stuff so Brian Kelly says he wants to play Alabama every year I think it's commendable that he does but given what it seems like the SEC schedule is heading towards just not really quite so sure that's possible and the one thing you should know about this is there is a lot more discussion and a lot more process towards resolution happening behind the scenes that's been given credence to publicly just keep that in mind so there's a guy named Larry Williams who's covered Clemson for a long time and he tracked down is it Larry from Spartanburg is the guy's name the the, the caller to the Dabo Swinney show tracked him down had an interesting conversation with him and one of the things that the caller from Spartanburg said was if he had to do it all over again, he'd be more respectful of Dabo Sweeney. But this is a real person, apparently. You know, there's some people that kind of wondered, was this a plant? Dabo seemed to have a lot of stats that are ready to respond to him. Uh, there was, there's always going to be a sort of a knee-jerk reaction that moves people in the direction of conspiracy to begin with because, frankly, there's a lot of stuff in college sports that is just totally fake. Uh, so, you know, thinking something might be fake is not an impossible conclusion for me to draw just given the fact that there's a lot of fake stuff in college sports but in this particular case this was apparently not fake this is a real dude the longtime Clemson writer tracks him down one of the things that the the caller said is if you had to do it over again he'd be more respectful of, of Sweeney I have a couple of things here on this then we're going to move off this and perhaps never talk about this topic again thing number one is this there are some people who sort of treat this as some sort of great tragedy that Dabo Sweeney was questioned by a commoner like you know like so there's some sort of like egregious you know miscarriage of justice has taken place because a multimillionaire like Sweeney had to briefly be in a discussion with someone who doesn't have the same you know level of financial whatever uh that that you know Dabo Sweeney accidentally crossed paths with a commoner and the commoner dared question his better in this particular case and I don't think that kind of stuff at all. It's one of the reasons why I like talk radio and like these these shows, these call-in shows for coaches. You know, there ought to be every now and then uh, an opportunity for just the regular rank-and-file constituency to, to speak to their coach. If you go speak to your congressman at a town hall, you got to be able to speak to your coach every now and then too. And I think that the average college football fan ought to give the same level of respect to his head coach that you'd give to your congressman if you go to a town hall to speak to him or her, which is probably some sort of baseline level of uh, respect. But the idea that you're supposed to sort of bow down as a supplicant, you know, because this person's a millionaire and you're not, I don't necessarily think that's the case. I, I really don't. I think there's a general level of respect that all humans ought to give to each other. But the idea that there's got to be some great deference because you are speaking to someone of a different social stratus than you, I think that's nonsense. And so um, uh, I've got no problem with the caller every now and then calling out the coach uh, in a situation like this, even if the, you know, even if I sort of agree with the coach, in this case, Dabo Swinney's response back to the caller, the idea that it was this huge, egregious tragedy that that someone from a lower social caste dare dare question a uh, multi-millionaire head coach, I don't find that to be true at all. 
Uh, on the flip side of this, when it comes to Dabo Swinney, some people are going to look at this, and we even ourselves the other day said, hey, you know, it sort of feels like this could be coming to some sort of like powder keg, right? Like like there's some sort of explosion about to happen here that, that Dabo's upset because he's not appreciated. Clemson fans are upset because they're not really winning right now, at least certainly not anywhere close to the level they're used to winning, that somehow, some way, this can't last at this level. And what we said is what it could actually end up being is a, a, a several-year period where it sort of feels like there's these simmering tensions where – you know, Dabo making a lot of money, earned the right to sort of stay at Clemson and appreciate his status as a two-time national champion and could do so somewhat bitterly as he continues to sort of face some of the heat that he's facing right now. And Clemson fans, if they don't start winning more, they're going to grow more and more frustrated uh, because somehow, some way, you know, it does kind of become the what have you done for me lately in terms of, you know, how much success you happen to be enjoying in in, in any given moment. But let me just give you one more thought on this, which is this. Some people say all of this could be fixed if Dabo would just embrace more of like the transfer portal and doing some of the things that a lot of the other teams are doing here in college ball right now. But when it comes to like championship contention status, like how many teams are really establishing themselves at that by the transfer portal? Clearly, Georgia's not. You know, they take a couple of transfers, but it's not like they're remaking their roster via transfers. So the idea that Clemson could somehow do that, bring in a whole bunch of transfers and everything's fine and fixed, there's no, there's no comp for that in college football anywhere else there's no template for that in college football anywhere else of someone heavily utilizing the transfer portal to become a championship contender and if anything if I'm Clemson here's what I'm thinking right now it's simply that hey you hired Garrett Riley you try to go outside the program for an offensive coordinator that didn't work Riley's kind of proving to be a little bit of a bust but who's to say if you don't try that again go outside the program again for another kind of up-and-coming young offensive mind Maybe that one works a little bit better, and then maybe some of these losses that Clemson's had, maybe they can find a way to win some of those games. Really, if you just avoid some turnovers here this year, you probably win some of those games there as well. So I think there's nothing about Clemson, at least in terms of a playing better than you are right now, there's nothing so broken with Clemson that perhaps couldn't be fixed by a better offensive coordinator at least. may not make you a championship contender again, but you won't be losing the same number of games you're losing right now. So perhaps some of the stuff around Dabo may be just a little bit overstated there, at least worth considering that. And then let me very quickly give you this. Uh, there are a few games on the docket for this weekend that we probably won't get to talk about tomorrow. So I want to talk about a couple of those games here right now. Starting the SEC, I think Arkansas-Florida is pretty fascinating. Now, my assumption is that Florida will probably win the game. They really need this. When you think about what they've already lost, you know, they've got, you know, the Kentucky loss, the Georgia loss, the Utah loss. You've got, you know, Missouri game looming, uh, uh, LSU game looming, you know, Florida State game looming. I mean, Florida needs to find wins wherever they can find it. And against Arkansas is one of those games you'd like to think you can get that if you are a Gator fan. If you lose this one, then all of a sudden you run the risk of not being bowl eligible, which is obviously a pretty bad thing for a Billy Napier coach team in his second year if that were to be the case. Florida appears to be the better team on paper, but Arkansas is going to be a little bit tricky to figure out into this game moving uh, into Saturday. Dan Enos is no longer there as offensive coordinator. And sometimes the changeover coach at least, at least briefly provides a little extra spark for the team. And for, for Arkansas, you sort of wonder, the best player in this game is probably still K.J. Jefferson. Now, Jefferson has not had that kind of year. I don't think Dan Enos was, was using him very well. Probably wasn't a very good hire, unfortunately, for Sam Pittman. But you kind of wonder, okay, well, in the sort of reboot here, the sort of post-Dan Enos era, 
do they just kind of find a way to turn KJ Jefferson loose? And can Jefferson, on kind of a single game basis, kind of go out there and just sort of put this Arkansas team on his back? Admittedly, as a Gator hater, I'd love for Florida to lose. That's probably the pathway towards getting this done. I guess ultimately, I probably like Florida in this spot. I'll also mention this for South Carolina, they host Jacksonville State on Saturday. It's Battle of Gamecocks. Jacksonville State's seven and two. South Carolina needs to be very 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 careful (laughs) be very careful with Jacksonville State coming calling there on Saturday and that's all I'm going to say about that just be careful Gamecocks the ones in Columbia uh watch out for Jack State uh coming up to uh to take you on there on Saturday and then I'll also mention this kind of outside the SEC I think that Texas Kansas State's a little bit of an interesting game for a couple of reasons Texas is not a huge favorite here in this spot they're about a four-ish four and a half point favorite something like that I think there are a lot of people waiting for Texas to have one of these sort of Texas-style moments where they don't make good on some of the hype that they're getting. I truly don't believe it's that kind of Texas team here this year. Uh, I know Chris Kleiman's a really good coach, and uh, you know Kansas State won the league a year ago. I feel like I probably trust Texas in this spot on Saturday, but it'll be interesting to see if they can make good on that. And on the flip side here, when you want to kind of value or, or maybe get an appreciation of a level of value for the opponent that Georgia's playing on Saturday, keep in mind, earlier this year, Missouri beat Kansas State, and Kansas State's only a handful of point underdog against Texas there on Saturday. This is a pretty good Kansas State team again here this year. That was a non-conference win for Missouri earlier this season there as well. To give you an idea of a little bit of the stature that uh that that Missouri brings into Saturday part of the reason why they're respected as much as they are relatively narrow point spread you know just outside of a couple of touchdowns ranked 12th in the college ball playoff top 25 that came out this week it's a non-conference win the likes of Kansas State that sort of gives some of that to Missouri uh perhaps something to keep in mind on Saturday as you see uh the uh, the Wildcats take on uh, Texas there we'll make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean before we wrap up here today want to give a shout out to our friends at Precision Garage Doors because they've earned a five-star reputation you're gonna talk about five-star recruits and this and that on the show all the time but how about the five-star reputation that our friends at Precision Garage Door have gotten by providing exceptional on-time service to folks just like you all across our area here their phones are answered 24-7 making sure that you always get in touch with a garage door replacement or repair specialist whenever that need arises for you so whether you need a replacement or just some simple repair our friends at precision garage door that's dog nation's choice to get the job done and if it's same day service or if you just need an estimate whatever you you need there on that uh our friends at precision garage door can take care of that for you there as well right here in the atlanta area it's a neighborly company that uh wants to uh, do good work for you and kind of allow you to be a good neighbor to those in your um neighborhood there too with a good looking garage door that sort of looks better on the outside that sort of sounds good when it's coming down uh that's what precision garage door can provide so make sure you find them online at precision your georgia uh, precision door georgia.com that's precision door georgia.com for a lot more on that all right couple of golden shoes to a wrap up today i appreciate our producer michael carvel for helping me with these Had a couple of computer issues that we're on our way to getting fixed uh fireball rodney sends this from the uh this is the porta johns outside jacksonville on saturday somebody has taken and putting the gators eat booger sign there on that to give you an idea of how georgia fans feel about florida rodney seeing that there in jacksonville sharing that with us we will give him a golden shoe for that it's certainly very funny and an example of sort of the festivities that georgia fans enjoy as they mock florida before the game 
watch their team beat Florida during the game, and then they taunt them after the game. That's become a tradition for UGA fans down there in Jacksonville. We appreciate Rodney sharing some of that with us. Uh, Dustin Kreider sends this very funny, the classic Andrew Smart meme where he holds up the sign. Dustin has the uh, caption here, I had a better sign, but Michigan stole it. Yeah, there's been a lot of sign-stealing allegations against Michigan, although Orange Bowl in 2021 would certainly lead you to believe that perhaps Michigan wasn't too good at stealing Georgia signs, or at least not too good at using the information they perhaps got from Georgia on that. Either way, very funny from Dustin. We will give him a golden shoe for that there as well. And we'll remind you, our Gator Hater Updater, speaking of those lousy, stinking Gators, remains to be seen if they'll be able to beat Arkansas this Saturday. But we know they weren't able to beat Georgia last Saturday, and it's now been 1,090 days since the lousy, stinking Gators have beaten Georgia. What a fun thing that is to keep in mind. That is our Gator Hater Updater for today. We'll see all of you back here tomorrow, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Meriwether and Tharp. We'll look forward to talking to you then.